Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hello hey. and Adieu. That was so enthusiastic. Yes. <laughs> hey. So you want to go again? No, this is great. <laughs> okay. Um, this was uh, actually, <laughs> this is a great episode because me and Mathis actually do a bit of banter, and we don't usually end up doing that. I guess bickering banter. I'm saying yeah, bickering. I was going to say it's banter more so is a very blanket statement. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Um, but that's kind of what makes this episode fun and unique, and Mathis is going to tell you all about it to you. Okay, so guys, when I talk about this, it's not going to sound like we bickered about a lot of things, but we we did. So it's <laughs> we started out talking about uh, the new Hillsong documentary that came out this weekend, um, which I went and saw. So we we sort of talk about what the documentary looks like and... I suggest that everyone uh, go see it if you get a chance to, because it's very interesting and very uh, transparent. So after we talked about the Hillsong movie, we talked about a church marquee that John saw that said Jesus's life matters, which led us into a debate about whether that's a good thing to post on a church sign or not. And then it led us to talk about the BLM movement, the Black Lives Matter movement. And after that, we talked about a few different movie things that happened this week, which were uh, Chloe Grace Moretz left all of her future projects, including The Little Mermaid, which was uh, right in the pipeline. And Mm -hmm. after that, we talked about uh, the Stan Lee movie that is going to be uh, coming out soon. They just announced it. It's this this wild adaptation, and we talk about our love for Stan Lee. And then after that, we finish with a movie that John voluntarily watched that came out in the 70s. I did. Close Encounters of the I Third Kind, which is a movie that... Oh, so good. You're <laughs> such a giver, John. Thank you. So we... Um, yeah, uh, it's it's uh, a Spielberg movie that is definitely one of my favorites, and John had never seen it before, so he sort of gives his first impressions. And we talk about all the creative influences that Close Encounters... Uh, has fueled yeah let's have a fun little conversation about close encounters at the end so glad you watched it john thank you um as always you can hit us up on our email at hello and do at gmail.com h-e-l-l-o-a-n-d-a-d-i-u at gmail.com you can hit us up on twitter at hello and do and rate subscribe review on itunes Mm -hmm. yes so you can do all that and Enjoy the episode. And enjoy. Good afternoon, John. How are you? Good afternoon, Matt. That was my radio voice. That was good. I felt like I was listening to Kiss FM, you know? <laughs> is Kiss FM <laughs> in Chicago? Or is it everywhere? Yeah. Uh, I think it is everywhere. I think Ryan Seacrest is technically on Kiss oh, FM. Oh, that's the one that Ryan's on. I think so. But yeah, in Chicago, we have a 103.5 Kiss FM. Yeah. Have I told you that radio you is one of my, like, number one pet peeves? What about it? Everything about it. The fact that it all just feels very, like, s- circular. Like, everything is just sort of moving in this, like, hypnotic 
trancey feel for the entire day of like the same songs over and yeah. over again and the ads make me want to like pull my teeth out you know yes. it's just like oh my god that, it's so bad and my least just, favorite thing is when they say commercial free hour but then they still talk so yeah. to me it's still a commercial they still yeah, don't play exactly. songs they just talk it I'm feels like, this the is not commercial free same. this is this is you talking <laughs> about yeah. pointless things which is Mr. a commercial you are as bad as a commercial just play another freaking song exactly and Let's then the, change sig- the world the signal is bad and you, you don't hear anything new it's like in a world where we can listen to our our music in the car i'm still blown away by how few people actually do listen to their music in the car yeah i do <laughs> Oh my goodness! It's just it. It's very flustering, you know. I agree. I'm but speaking of flustering, how was your week? <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was really busy. Um, yeah. Throughout the last uh, few weeks, I've known that I was going to be relocating. I was going to be uh, moving apartments, and this was the last week in my current apartment. So I. Uh, you know, I was looking for a new place. It's kind of hard to look for a new place up until the very moment that you need a new place because when people are looking mm-hmm. for, you know, new residents or new tenants, they're looking for something, at, you know, within the next few weeks. So you kind of do have to wait right. until you're like at the at the minimal four weeks out from it. But I usually wait for like three weeks out from it. Uh, so I've been looking like crazy and I secured a place and I showed John earlier that I am basically just sitting in my empty room. This is my last day in my, uh, current place. I don't know if current's the right word. My, yeah, I guess it's, it's my current place until my other place, uh, becomes available, but it's been a really, um, it's been, it's been one of those weeks where it's been intense. Like when I, when I locked in my apartment, that I'm going to be living in now, I like started uh, shaking because the I feel like the shock of it was like fully just becoming real. Like I, I was so close to not having a place within the next, you know, like week and and it happened and I was just weak in the knees. I was like, oh my God, that was like really close. And I secured that the place was officially last you know, yesterday. So it's, but oh, good. Um, I'm glad you found a place. Cause that's stressful. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, but, uh, I'm doing well now. Uh, sort of just good. a lot of things the past like few weeks are very flying by the city of your pants moments where yeah. it's like, we'll just figure this out when we get there, you know, like laying the track for the train as it, uh, as the train keeps moving forward. But great metaphor. Thank you. I really love that one. And I relate to it on yeah. a, on a continual basis. But you saw an interesting movie this week. Oh, that's that's right. Um, yeah, I saw Hillsong, the documentary about the super-duper famous Christian band on Friday. Uh, and I've been wanting to talk about it on the podcast ever since like we were getting closer to the date because mm-hmm. it's is this very f- fascinating uh, type of documentary because it was super not just focused on their story but it was very much about the the worship you know it was very much about the actual music itself to the was point it like where a concert documentary as well like it's, a jonas it's brothers partial. yeah exactly like that it's okay. it's partially um it's filmed and it's edited in a way for you to like enter a worship space while you're watching it 
and it's it's the type of thing that I would have loved to watch and not be a Christian. Like it's it's impossible for me to shut it off. I I try to enter situations like that with a certain amount of skepticism, but I still do believe in God and I believe in my my faith in Christ is, you know, my salvation and all of the bullet points. So when I'm watching it, I am the type of person who can't help but start singing along as I'm watching the concert footage. Like it doesn't right. I wasn't trying to. I was just trying to watch the documentary, but you're like watching it and you're just sort of like singing along and you're like wow i wasn't even trying to do that but even even at the start of the film it's like this movie has a lot of concert footage in it and a lot of songs and we fully uh encourage people to participate with the songs as as they play like they had the they had the words below like it was a sing-along whenever they did the concert footage i was like this is really interesting but was this some of their old stuff their new stuff was it both it was mostly all new stuff, like last two albums. Okay. But here's the premise of the movie. It's The concert footage is largely one show, and it's at the Forum, which is in L.A. It's like this huge venue. It's like a really famous venue. But this this show is the first tour date with with their new album, the album that came out last. So it's cutting between that show and them coming off of the last tour and writing this next show. Oh. And... And then another equal part of it is talking about the history of Hillsong as a church and as a band. And it was it was very uh, riveting. It was very interesting because the entire band was very transparent through the whole movie, like surprisingly transparent. It didn't feel like Christian propaganda at all. So what, they would, what does that look like? Can you give an example of yeah, what totally. transparent looks like? Yeah, so um, where to start? There were so many things where, like, it's just not what you think it is. Like, for one, in in all of their interviews, they all bring up this, this like, introspective view of who they are. And, and they talk about how they have a lot of uh, inner conflict about what it means to be so famous and yet to not be famous. Because they, they're mm. in this, like, they're in this weird subgenre where they are the most famous Christian band on the planet. And still yeah. a lot of people don't even know what Hillsong is. And, and you know, they cut to these concerts, and it's just these, like, venues just filled to the top with all of these people. And and they talk about how it's like we, we get that we're now a huge deal. Like, their their previous album to the most recent one, that album, what, they, like, hit this new layer of stardom i was talking to somebody yesterday and they used the word enigma and that's perfect like it was it was this enigma where things just like started happening and becoming huge and they didn't they didn't expect it at all and it was just this this huge huge this huge huge like rise in power so basically you, you they're they're at this this point of enigma in in their careers and they're reflecting on it in the documentary and then they're they're about to make this new album and and it's like the whole world is looking at them and they don't know what to do. Like they spend a lot of time in the documentary, like we don't even know what the next album looks like. So there's a lot of that transparency in it. There's a lot of like conversations where they're like, we look like superstars, but we really don't make a lot of money and we don't live like superstars. So like they finish they finish one of their tours and they all go home and some of them are like still living with their parents or they live in like super small homes and it's, Mm -hmm. and, and they, they, they paint it as like, it is their missions work. It's, 
Like they, right. they're paid like missions people because all of the money that Hillsong earns goes back into the church. And they talk about how, how weird that is. And they talk about how like um, they feel they feel like they have to be performers. And then at some point they have to stop being performers whenever they they do their shows because like the lead says, it's my job to like make this concert work. It's my job to bring my A game. But the minute that I that I have people's attention and the minute that things start working, it's not about me and I have to figure out how to make it not about me. And it's this really mm-hmm. like it's this really weird like grounds where you're you're like moving you it's just there's a lot of delicacy to it and and it's it's very fascinating. One of my one of my favorite parts is another part where the lead is talking about writing the new album and he's talking about how hard it is because he um because he knows what he wants to do and he doesn't think that it's what God wants him to do. And the rest of the band is like we don't know what it is supposed to be either. And they're kind of caught in this like what Christians often call like the waiting time where you're sort of like trying to figure out what the spirit of God is like wanting from you or asking from you and what he wants you to make. And after they're talking about this, he says, there are a lot of times in my career where I I don't want to make this type of music. I want to like make the things that, uh, the things that will impress the people that I want to impress in the world and the things that will, uh, fulfill my passions in Mm -hmm. the music industry and he talks about how he just can't bring himself to do it though he feels like it's not the most important thing that he could be doing with the talents that he has so after after he talks about how he wants to use his his talents and how he feels like that's not the most important mission he talks about how they're like they're caught in this interesting place where no other band on the planet has what they have in the sense of how famous they've become and the type of thing that mm-hmm. they do. And for that reason, they seem, he's like, we seem bigger than we actually are as far as like talent go. He's like, if this, if this music wasn't about God, I don't think we're a very good band in general. I don't like, we're not really, we wouldn't be making it in the secular world. It's just because nobody else is doing what we're doing. And I, like, he just says it with such, like, it's so raw that it just, it gave me chills. I wonder I like, why they're making that comparison, though, you know? Because, I mean, the Christian music. Mus- yeah, I mean, I don't know why it would matter that they don't really appeal to the secular world, because a lot of Christian music doesn't. It seems weird that they compare it like that. Well, he, I think he just means that the only reason why they're famous is because their music is worshipful and it's about God. Like, they're not famous for their... They're not very famous for their skills as lyricists or as musicians. And that he doesn't think they could be. What, so what are they famous for? They're famous, they're famous because they're good enough to be the best at what they do. In a sense, because it is, it is all worship music, they just have to meet the highest standard in worship music to be as famous as they are. And the highest standard in worship music, I think, and I think that the lead would agree with me, is not the same standard as it takes to make it in a secular music industry. That's that's very true. And that's is that kind what, of what they're is that about. what they're going for, to kind of break that wall no. between Christian and secular. No, they know that they make worship sure. music. They're like, we're we're here to make worship music. We're we're here to make songs uh-huh. that people want to like gather together and sing 
and it's but something there's a piece missing to it i don't know that there's a piece missing to it it's just it's just a weird thing where they're like this is this is what we're supposed to do and sometimes we don't want to be doing it at least oh. at least with the lead the other guys don't say this in their interviews the other guys say all like everybody says very interesting things but it's like yeah they're all talking about how this is where they're supposed to be right now and oh. they say a lot of things where I don't necessarily agree with them, but you know that it's their heart, and that's what really blew me away by the documentary. Yeah. I was like, they've they are not like they are not bullshitting right now. This is what they what they think a lot of times, and there's a lot of just really interesting things about the subculture of being a Christian music producer that comes through in this. Like, for example. Like just to just to capture how intense the um, how intense the the waiting period was for that that last release of the album, they're like finishing four songs within like four days before they're supposed to do this tour. Like they're still wow. finishing writing the songs, and and they're in this like really terribly creative rut where they don't really know how to like prepare because they don't want to do what God doesn't want them to do. Mm. And, um, and they finish this song about 40 minutes before they're supposed to go on stage. And they have to send the song over to the Hillsong church in Australia and get them to approve of the lyrics, because if they don't approve of the lyrics, they can't sing the song. And it's just one of these like really fascinating, like subculture things that you don't think about, but but in, at the end of the day, they're all working for the church, and it's there's just so many like really interesting things about it, and it, yeah, I I would regularly say, it's so weird because it is just Christian worship music because I would regularly say just make whatever the hell you want to make and go out there and do it like, it's like if if it's if it's the song that you want to write right then and you're like going through it and it doesn't feel different or it doesn't feel like the the direction that you wanted it to go in still just make the song but they're because they're so like they're they're just this one thing they are just worship music so it's it's really hard to like understand that creative process as a as somebody who does just make what they want to make you know because they talk about like not wanting not making just what they want to make they try to get beyond themselves for the stuff that they create and there's this really long section where they talk about oceans, that song, you know? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that song that song was like number one on the billboard for like fifty weeks or something crazy yeah. like that. And they show concert footage of the entire performance of the song because it's like this huge pivotal moment and they do this whole segment on the song and they talk about how they d- like why did it become such a big deal why did people love it so much and all the band members are talking about it and then after this segment they say but we're not supposed to write another oceans god doesn't want us to repeat ourselves like we could make another one of those songs and spend another like massive amount of weeks at the top of the the billboards but that's not what we're supposed to do it's very interesting it's very like they know who they are they know they know the way that people see them they know like the the way that they um they have to carry themselves because of who they are mm-hmm. you know yeah it's just very fascinating and super well-made documentary too a lot of powerful moments as far as like the visuals go and and because they're all such like interesting characters they like you know even in their interviews you're like watching them and you're so engaged with the things that they're saying and they talk about 
their lives and you're like, oh, wow. Like, <laughs> these guys have been through some shit, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I encourage everybody to watch it, whether, you know, you you believe in what they believe or if you don't, because I think that it's a very interesting documentary and I want to hear what you have to say and what anybody has to say who sees it. It's just, yeah, I, I love Hillsong. I, I mean, when I was growing up in church, I was, they probably came around when I started high school, I would say is probably when those first popular songs came out. And I, I mean, I love them then. And I still actually, I really do like them. I'll go back and listen to some of their old albums Mm-hmm. And it's still like the residual effect of like how I felt then comes back when I listen to it. Um, and yeah, I mean, you said that they like weren't known for like their lyrics or their music, but I think they are. I mean, I but, think in, especially in Christian culture, I think that's why they're so popular is because their lyrics were so powerful and their music, like it hit you at a different point and part of your soul than normal Christian music does. Cause normal Christian music kind of follows this, equation and i hate to say that but like if like i can go through the radio and just by like the tone of the music as i'm like searching through i can tell if it's a christian radio station um and i think that's one of the pitfalls that christian music has gotten into is they have this equation that they know people will respond to they know certain keywords they know like different places to hit so that people will respond to it and i think that hillsong they do some of that but i think for the most part like you said you know they're kind of their own thing and they are you can tell that their intention behind it is so pure and i think that really comes out and i think it also comes out with like we've talked about bethel music like you can just tell when music comes from a different part of than just i want to write a hit and i think that hillsong does a really good job with that well when you when you look at how they go through their their creative process like i was talking about like it totally makes sense why they stand apart from almost all other Christian music because yeah. it's, they tear everything they do up and they rebuild it and they tear it down and they rebuild it. And they like, they mm-hmm. put everything through the grinder. Like they only want the best of the best. And what I meant with them not being known for their lyrics, I mean, it, coming back to that, like they, they are the top, they are the top standard in the Christian music world, but would they be able to write a secular song and get it to play See, on the I, radio? I, don't, I feel like we, that's like, such a weird part of the conversation i don't know why it keeps coming back to that i just feel like it's bringing like a whole different element that doesn't need to be brought into it i mean it's just a side comment that i really that i really like hung on to he doesn't say it in those exact words but i i feel like that's what he's trying to say he's trying to say that he's like if we didn't make music about god nobody would know who we were as a band that's that's all that he's trying to say when you see it you'll know what i mean when he's talking okay. about it cuz he's like he's he's having this conversation with the cameraman in the middle of one of their like they're in the the portion of time where they're writing new music and they're trying to figure out how to like get through some like creative obstacles and barriers and he's just like talking about the band he's like I didn't even think we're that great of a band like we're just we're just doing what nobody else is doing and that's making us that's making us look like the best right now like the way that you were talking uh-huh. about them. Like they they are probably the best as far as worship music goes. Right. So speaking of churches, um, this is very different. But as I was driving to work, I think it was, it was a few weeks ago, I was driving past this church. And then on the church's sign, it said, Jesus's live life matters. 
Was it and trying to make like a Black Lives Matter? Joke? Yes, it, it, that that's the only <laughs> thing I can get from that. And when I saw it, <laughs> I don't know why, but I was so upset. <laughs> I feel like it downplays the severity of Black Lives Matter. And I understand there's a lot that goes with Black Lives Matter and people don't like it because they think, you know, of course, all lives matter. Hashtag all lives matter. But in regards to that, I heard someone say once um, that, you know, if you have a broken leg, you fix the leg first and then your whole body. It's kind of like saying, you know, if we are the people are like a whole body and one part of your body is broken, you go and mend that first before you know the whole body can be cohesive and that's kind of like what the black lives matter thing why we should actually focus on you know the black community and really supporting them at this time because you know it's really broken in a sense and i feel like we're kind of just looking past it and kind of making excuses as to why we shouldn't be supporting them in the way that they need and so then i just feel like as a church it's almost passive aggressive to say no like we're not talking about black lives matter we're just talking about jesus and jesus will heal it all and i understand that but at the same time it feels a little passive aggressive and it's kind of like saying an f you to the black lives matter and saying "Mm, we don't care because we have jesus and i feel like as a church and as a people and not even as a church as a community of people and human beings we shouldn't downplay it in any respect and i feel like that is a downplaying move on their part and that's a personal opinion but i feel like i wouldn't be alone in saying that yeah no i don't think you would be alone in saying that and i don't think that a a church if a church is going to express political opinion which is really hard for a church not to it's definitely not right on the marquee you just (laughs) right because people drive by like you and and you just put your middle finger up at the church and you say that's not what you're supposed to do at all like that's very annoying to me and it really it really does like it it kind of forces sides almost like unconsciously it does you're yeah kind of forcing sides on like if you support black lives matter then you're not on this side with us you know and it's just like we need to stop with these like sides and causing trouble and it's just i don't know well, and I'm sure they okay. did not in, in, intend for this. I'm sure I'm putting a lot onto this one statement, but I mean, if I they drove past and it. thought it, I'm sure that others also yeah. did. Unless they they're all just as it. sensitive as I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not a message that's going to connect with anybody except for people who might already connect with Christianity. I don't know if they care. Going off of what you said about you know, drawing sides about like polarizing yeah. people about setting us against them or them against us. That's, um, that's essentially why I don't believe in the black lives matter movement. I, because it makes you pick a side. Yeah. I think that it, I think that it draws lines against, uh, white people and against cops and against, um, uh, institutions, because a lot of people believe in institutional racism, so it draws lines against institutions, and it's yeah. it's it's birthed out of racism, and I don't agree on that, and I think a lot of people don't know that, but the police shootings that created the Black Lives Matter movement were all proven to be justifiable police killings, and there mm, are no, they weren't. 
I mean, there might have been one, but no. Like, okay, there was a hit lot. Me, hit me with one, because I think there was, was the three, one guy. There was police who, shootings. There was three police shootings, I think. Yes, there was the one right. guy in the car where the lady Facebook live the whole thing, where he no, shot no, no, the no. guy. And not not recently. I'm talking about what started the, mm-hmm. the BLM movement, like the Ferguson days. Ferguson oh, is a case that well, was proven to be justified. Black Lives Matter, like, kind of revamped with all these more recent ones. Right, so I totally. Thought that's why we we're talking about it. And no, there, no, 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 no. There's a lot of examples. Well, those, 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 those are shady. Those are those are definitely like we need more details. We need more evidence because I, I'm not saying that those are justified. Okay, so. But I'm I'm saying what started. So the wouldn't movement. that still? Okay, okay. Like. Like where where the movement is coming from, it, it's it, it's okay, birthed out of whether a lie. Or not it, I feel like, but whether or not it started as that, like where it is now and what it means now, I feel like is different. Then, if it didn't start, if it started with justifiable or non-justifiable stuff, I feel like now it is justified, and that's why it's back. But the foundations are uh, twisted and and lies, and they're not correct like where the mm. movement came out of. Okay. And and I like let's let's put aside that. <laughs> um there the the the, like, the policies, oh, the gosh, way that th- their action steps, their like goals, I think that they are racist as well though. Because they do they do want to draw those lines and they do want to like they do want to they they're trying to diversify the country where they're trying to say that um black people need special special treatment above the rest of the but population. But they do now. That's the thing. They need extra help. And I don't think that's bad. Like, and why can't well, we all be on one side and helping them? Then we're not against each Like, I don't know why we'd ever be against helping a certain population of people. No. I don't think that people you are. I, mean? I think that's the way that it oh. looks. No. I don't have to support the BLM movement to to be for the fair treatment of every individual in the country. Like, I just don't support how the movement operates and I don't support what the movement wants to do about the situation. What do they want to do with the situation? I mean, like you look at all of these, like there's just so many things. Um, One example, I don't believe in, in slave reparations and the black lives matter slave reparations. Meaning, Meaning that the the entire black community in the country is is given a a certain uh, uh, a certain amount of money every year, or maybe it's all up front. I don't know how they are like pushing the idea of it, but is given a certain amount of money because their their ancestors were slaves. And see, I, I don't believe in that, and I don't believe in in all black environments like all black zones all black spaces like that's that's racism to me too and i don't believe in i don't believe in i don't believe in what they stand for in the sense of institutional racism i don't believe that police departments are inherently racist and they believe no i i wouldn't say they all believe that i just think that examples have shown that there's definitely a prejudice and not all of them. I mean, obviously, this is not for all police departments, but there's obviously a prejudice. And I think we all just have to understand that we have these prejudices and open that conversation. The, the, th- the thing that the, the Black Lives Matter leaders, the thing that Black Lives Matter leaders want 
I feel like what they want is just equality. They want to be treated the same, and they're not being treated the same at this in, point in, what in our sense, society. Though? I feel like in a lot of sense, because we still do have a lot of prejudices against the black community, and it may not be institutionalized where they can't get jobs or anything like that, but still, like or culturally, I feel like they do have. There's just so many prejudices against them. But if it's I, I cultural, guess I just don't know, like, it's why. not something that a government can fix. And if it's individual, right. it's not something that that you can fix about someone that you don't know. It's right, but Black Lives Matter isn't a government thing. No, I but feel it's, like it's a cultural thing. The idea that that policies need to be created in order to achieve what they're talking about, I just don't think that it's it's doable in America. No, I don't think I that would agree. It's. It's something that we all have to do in our own lives and something that we have to do for our immediate friends and family. It's, we can't touch anybody outside of that. And I think right. that they, they want something outside of that that is not attainable in the, in the terms of the way that we operate as a society. Like, it's, it's not social mm -hmm. policy that we can push. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I think that sometimes we need social policy. I don't think it's to that point, but I mean... If, you know, well, they need social policies doing? back. And I honestly don't know. I just think we just need to be more supportive. I mean, I feel like these con like this conversation is kind of a way like just it's always downplaying the fact that like it's like people don't believe that people are prejudiced against the black community. Yeah. But do you know anybody who's prejudiced against the black community? So many people. I just can't think of I mean, anybody like it. It feels like a non-existent thing and i know that oh it's not God. non-existent but it just feels so like like we're talking about this huge massive amount of people who are against black people and i don't i just don't see that and i don't know what that well, means in, that's in my own prejudice personal. is something you hold inside it's not something and it's how you treat people and i feel like they're treated differently i really do and in, in what ways though and i still think they are because people are, are scared stuck? of them and that's why they're scared of the black community and that's why they get shot more because they think that if you see two black people walking towards you that they are suspicious and they're dangerous and that's why police people get police officers get scared and they pull their guns before they should yeah but police kill more white people a year than black people it's not like the I think, like I think we should just change the subject often. yeah I think we should move on <laughs> I agree in the sense I of like think don't we're on put different it on the sides marquee. of it. We are on different sides of it. Yeah, I'm not. And I'm not fine. bitter and I'm not aggressive at all. I just, I just want to no, understand. No, and I'm not either. I just, I think we're gonna keep going in a circle if we keep talking. I just think we see it differently. On a lighter note, in yes. movie news this past week was two super interesting things. Mm -hmm. uh, so the first being that Stanley's life is being adapted into a movie and Stanley for anybody who doesn't know you actually do know who Stanley is Stanley is yeah. basically the creator of all of the original uh, Marvel characters he created the Fantastic Four Spider-Man um, not Captain America but he helped get Captain America off the ground after he was created uh, he created most of the X-Men uh, he created a lot of the large ones that you can think of off the top of your head most of the Avengers are all his ideas. But what's really fascinating about the movie is that it is a period film and it is mm -hmm. an action film. And there are no other like 
press releases outside of this, except that it is, it's a fictionalized version of Stanley. So it's, um, it's not a biopic. It's, it's like, it's, it's, it's like we're saying this is Stanley and he's doing things that he has not done. Uh, in real but life. Hopefully in real life. Yeah. And hopefully being true to the character of who he is and the personality of him. And I think that this is, this is the only way to do a Stanley movie because he is like, if you were doing a Dr. Seuss movie, this is how I would want you to do it. You know, somebody yeah, who lives so that. much in their head, it should have this like fantastical world. Not, not always, but I think yes. that Stanley is the perfect person to have a movie. Totally. Like this about, and Stanley is, um, I have a, I mean, everybody I think loves Stanley, but I, I really, really not? do like the guy in my, Sophomore year in high school, we did this thing called The Power of One. Have you heard of this? Uh, I don't think so. So it's a year-long project, and you pick somebody within the first few weeks of school, and you do project after project after project throughout the year, talking about, uh, you're basically, you pick somebody who changed the world, somebody who, who changed the game, who whose face is the cover of whatever they specialized in. So, you know, like people do Mm -hmm. Harriet Tubman, for example, is a huge, great example. But, um, I did Stan Lee and obviously there were very few people in the class whose picks came anywhere close to what I was doing because it's like, how did Stan Lee change the world? You know, like I've set myself up for a really hard argument, you know, where I had to say that it wasn't just, it wasn't just like he made comic books a thing. It was like he changed culture. So that was like the whole year totally. I was making the argument of like Stanley changed culture. Stanley changed uh, entertainment throughout the 70s, 80s. Stanley, yeah. you know, he he revamped the comic book, which is true. So it, it was such a fun process. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you had to like make, um, you had to make a, a timeline for one of the assignments. You had to, you obviously you had to write a paper. You had to, um, I'm trying to remember what other ones there were. I can't remember off the top of my head, but at the end of the year, all of the Did you projects. you dress up like him? Uh-huh. At the end of the year. Nice. All of the, all of the projects that you did all culminated on one setup and you dressed up like the character and people came to the school and you you were um everybody was in a line with all of their stands all of their their setups and people walked through the school and they talked to you and you basically told them about how you being that character changed the world and and it was just i read so much about his life and i read um his uh, biography or autobiography i don't remember but it was it was such a good process, and the the more you know about the guy, the more you like him because he's a really interesting dude, and I'm super excited about this movie. But yeah, I just figured I'd I'd share. I was that Stanley once, exciting. and I loved his uh, loved it. It was so much fun. I hope it's good. It kind of sounds like Birdman in a sense, you know, where there's this like there's you make it like sound like Birdman was reality. a bad movie. No, 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 no. But I'm saying like it's like <laughs> a break in reality from like it's this real guy like living a real life, but then there's like this other element. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, th- I think it's going to be a lot like that. Well, that'd the, be fun. There's a lot of content like that now, so I hope it doesn't. For all those characters. Yeah, that's true. I don't know how they're handling that. There's a lot of content like this, like this idea out there right now, so I hope it doesn't become old hat by the time the movie comes out, or maybe they find a different way to go about it. Right. But, 
I mean, like uh, Walter Mitty comes to mind, you know, movies like that where it's like, yes, eh, this is a little, we, we know what you're doing here. Like you're just mm-hmm. kind of running with an idea. I hope it, I hope it stands out ahead of the, uh, the bunch, but, uh, oh, something else that I was telling you that was really interesting about the idea was that, um, the, the idea of a fictionalized Stan Lee is very, is very pop culture at this point. We've seen him in all of these movies and he is yeah. this guy that is not himself, but is, and he shows up in the comic books and, it's also this fictionalized version where you see him and you're like, that's totally Stanley. And he does something that is not Stanley at all. So this to even, to even further concrete the idea that this is exactly how you do this movie. I'm excited. I, I hope yeah. they do it well. Cause otherwise it could be a huge flop, <laughs> but well, someone will show up for it. Yeah. We yeah, will. You and me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah. So moving on. So, one thing we both saw this week was the headline, Chloe Grace Moretz exits Little Mermaid remake and all future films. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's so good and so dramatic that I obviously clicked on it. And if you yeah, don't know who Chloe I, Grace I Moretz is, she, she was in the Kick-Ass movies. She was in The Fifth Wave. She was in If I Stay, that, you know, romance mm-hmm youth novel or neighbors too this year neighbors she, i mean she's been in like a ton of these movies recently yeah um and when you click for the first time you see it you're kind of like okay <laughs> yeah this is absolutely. super dramatic because mm-hmm. i mean she's like 19 years old so it's like a why would you drop out of a disney live remake because that's gonna make bank and it's huge i mean it's huge for your career like why would you drop that and then not mm-hmm. just that but all future films it's funny, but then you actually like read into it and at the end you're kind of like I respect you. Cuz what she said is she was saying that, you know, she's at a place in her career. She's only 19 years old. She's done so many movies. A lot of them have been kind of flops. Not not a lot of them, but some of them. Um and she's now at a place in her life and career where she just wants to make content that she is proud of and not do it for the money because really she probably doesn't need it right now but not do yeah. it for the money but do it for herself and the things that she cares about and i find it highly respectable i mean it sucks that she drops out of everything but yeah it does suck it really does but honestly here's the thing with the little mermaid remake i when the she, she was on like jimmy kimmel <laughs> talking about it i think when she was doing like fifth way what'd you say that movie's in trouble. trouble. Yeah. Well, when she was doing Fifth Wave Press, she was on Jimmy Kimmel, and they talked about it. And she said that this Little Mermaid was going to be blonde. And I remember thinking, if you're going to change one thing about the Little Mermaid, don't change the hair color. Because the hair color is, like, specifically Ariel. And we don't have a lot of ginger characters. I just feel like that's one well, part you, you just shouldn't mess with. you were super confident and enraged I by am. this element. I'm not enraged. I'm just saying, like, why change You're that one that's aspect? Word. You're very passionate it. about this element. I am passionate about it, because <laughs> it just seems like a silly thing. We're, fu- we're like, fixated on blondes, and I just, I hate this idea that it's, like, the epitome of, like, what beauty is in our society. It just, like, when I think of, like, blonde hair, I just think of, like, you know, the Botox, that everything's perfect, and I feel like the red hair, you know, signifies normal people, and not this extravagant lifestyle. Am I, I, I kind of in this? 
I think it kind of clumped all of blondes into a really negative category just now. Well, I'm just saying in our culture in regards to film, the blondes have this like bimbo status culturally. John, you might be overthinking this. What if it was just the case that Chloe Grace Moretz didn't look good with red hair and they were like, we'll do a blonde, Ariel. I still think it would not be a choice I would make. I get their creative choice. So but if Moretz didn't look good with red hair, would you be like, let's fire Moretz and get a new actress? I, I think that they should think of that when they're casting, though. I don't think that's something they should. I don't know. Maybe I'm alone in this, but <laughs> I just think but, Ariel is this iconic red haired person. Like when you see Ariel, yeah, especially like at Disney World, when the person's dressed up, they have red hair. I just feel like you shouldn't change what they look like so much because that is what people think of. Well, I, I just looked up when did Sofia Coppola leave the project because I wanted to see if that was a Sofia Coppola decision and if yeah I wasn't even she aware she didn't. left so yeah well she cool. left in uh well what month is this this is August September. September this is September and she left in June of last year so she was kind of long gone but oh, okay. maybe it was one of those things where they still weren't totally sure about it and I mean now that's you know Chloe left who knows what it's going to be you might get the red hair that you wanted maybe a purist will come in and say I want to do it like Beauty and the Beast I want to do it frame for frame I want to make it exactly what everybody is expecting um, <laughs> and maybe at the time there wasn't there wasn't that vibe maybe it was sort of like a uh, eh, let's try a blonde Little Mermaid and I don't know why I want to do it or maybe they were like I just think blonde will look better in the scenes I don't know but I think I know what it is. It's the Barbie thing. It's a Barbie complex. And I feel like the things that Barbie really? does for kids. The, yes. Because Barbie. Okay. Here's the thing. We're getting deep in this. The Barbie complex is this idea that like little kids buy Barbies and they think that is what a woman should look like. And the problem is, is that women like are shaped so differently than Barbies and Disney characters. Have you not like read up? Have you like heard anything about this? Yeah, of course. Like, okay. And I think I just feel, uh, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. (laughs) You just completely deflated. I want to hear what you got to say. Just, just, just give a quick spark notes version of it is, is all that you're trying to say. Good. I just don't think it's healthy to always change this iconic character that people look up to little kids look up to Ariel. And I feel like they're changing the core concept of the idea that you do not have to be blonde you do not have even though ariel was skinny like she wasn't like a fat ariel but i'm saying like she kind of goes against what like the barbie complex is just by being a redhead and it makes people it makes other kids feel like that they don't have to look like barbie they don't have to have the blonde hair the big boobs they can have red hair and be fine you know Although I think me. you're like way over reading into this, I think you do have a point there. I don't think I am. I, I think okay, they okay, are very okay. specific with <laughs> okay. how they think. <laughs> I I'm just gonna I'm just saying I think that what you're they know what they're doing. No, they, there's a lot of psychology to the creative decisions that they make, especially on a Disney film. But mm-hmm. I think that what you were just saying does make sense. Like if you take Ariel out of the ginger category there is no other um there's no disney heroine that is uh a redhead as far as i can remember besides the brave girl Anna? i don't remember her name is or no, the other Anna's like uh 
Auburn. Strawberry blonde. Br- brown. Or maybe, yeah, yeah Auburn she's brown. might be the color. Yeah, I just the, think the there's brave. more to it than we think, and I just don't think they should change her to blonde. That's a personal choice. Well, given that Merida or Meredith, whatever it is, and the, brave yes, Merida, that was it. Is a is a pretty terrible heroine. We probably do need to have another ginger in the ranks because I think so. We can't just be looking at Merida. That's not going to be good enough. I guess we'll see with what happens with the Little Mermaid. I'm on the same boat though with the whole. Wow, I really respect what you did because with regarding Chloe, because I think that. Yeah. That's such a good sign that she's not going to lose her mind in the business because right. she even said, I, I, I'm paraphrasing, but I think there is a, a moment in the quote where she's like, I'm not saying that I'm not, that I'm going to stop acting, but I do want to stop and just think about if I do want to continue acting. Like, it's not saying that I want to leave, but I do want to ask myself the question, do I want this? And I'm sure she'll be back, but it's important to oh, yeah. stop and say, like, all of us need to stop and be like, do, do I want this? And it, it's not like you shouldn't be afraid of of uh, quitting because you're asking that question. But if you don't ask that question, you could find yourself uh, down the road 10 years from now being like, this is this is never what I wanted. This is not me. And yeah, and burnt out. Exactly. You're burnt out because you're not doing something that fulfills you, like we talked about a few episodes ago. Yeah. And she Good for you, Chloe. Yeah, good for her. That's I mean, it's very interesting though. The headline alone is, is like the whole it's the whole conversation. It's perfect. Because it's yeah. like I'm leaving everything. But Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day I was like, Oh well that's actually pretty chill. Like that's a pretty mm-hmm. solid move. I'm not really freaking out about that. No. <laughs> She'll be okay. Um, last topic, you watched one of the, <laughs> one of the best sci- sci-fi films. Iconic. One of the, the most iconic sci-fi films. Yes. Of 1977. And mm-hmm. it's, it's an important film to me and you'd never seen it before and uh-uh. it's older and I really want to hear your thoughts on it. And, uh, it's the other 1977 sci-fi film. Which is, you know what else came out in 1977? Uh, no, was it Star Wars? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Did it come out before Star Wars? Uh, y- mm, yeah, I think so. A okay. few months before. Um, so, yeah. So, I knew that Close Encounters had to be on my watch list event- eventually. Um, mm-hmm. Only because I know how iconic it is. I know it's Steven Spielberg. Um and I kind of had like a craving to watch it. Mm. So I watched it. So happy right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and here's the thing. I really did like it. However, and this is where I'm going to get in trouble. It's a great example as to why I have trouble with older movies. Because when I was, when I was watching it, I had to not compare it to movies now. Because obviously it does not hold up in regards to like graphics even like even though they're cool they are cool and that's what but that's I what g- i had to do i did say for 1977 1977 oh no it was that <laughs> yeah that's the one <laughs> for some reason in my mind i thought i said like 1907 <clears throat> so yeah. 1977 this would have been groundbreaking in regards to like what they did but the thing is when you try to compare it to like alien movies now it's harder to watch because the graphics do kind of distract you when you're used to really good 
Star Wars Force Awakens graphics. Hmm. Well, let me just start asking you questions. Um, yes. Did you? What was your impression from um, watching it and going, "Wow, there's a lot of influence in cinema from this movie." Yes. Well, the first thing I thought of was those aliens look just like ET, and were their connections? <laughs> well, is is that how ET got here? Close Encounters. <laughs> I mean, maybe in like a in like a Spielberg's brain kind of way, but right, <laughs> not like um, not yeah. like not like a, a franchise sort of way at all. Mm-hmm. I feel like obviously Independence Day. I thought of because mm. it's there's these spacecraft that everyone is noticing over a city. Otherwise, I feel like it's pretty different in regards to like plot comparatively. Comparatively. Did you? Did you pick up on how many freaking lens flares are in the movie? No. There's a lot of lens flares. Like, I think more than any other Spielberg movie. Like, people point to this as Abrams is, like, really birth of the aesthetic, you know? Like, wow, I did, look at all that. I did flares. love the spaceships, and I loved the, They look great, don't they? They did a lot of, like, flyby shots. Mm-hmm. And then I love that little orb. It's like a little red orb that, like, comes from behind. Mm-hmm. It was so cute. It was like, zing. <laughs> so cute. Um, I'm going to be honest. I thought all the characters were pretty underwhelming. Um, really? Yeah. I didn't think any of them were really s- that strong. I think the, the only really fun character is the lead guy. What is his yeah. name? Richard Dreyfus. Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. yeah. I've never thought know. that, but I see it. I see what you mean. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's about all I have. Did you notice um, the Stranger Things influence when you were watching it? No. What part? I, there's a lot of things in there that remind me a lot of Stranger Things, but specifically the kid wandering away from his mom is yes. like that, that that scene in Stranger Things when the little girl wanders away while the mothers are talking and she wanders into the the uh, bedroom and all the lights start flickering and the walls start moving. Like that's a total Close Encounters reference right there. Was the, it? You think? Yeah, totally. I don't. I don't know if it's like only Stranger Things or if it's only Close Encounters, but yeah, just the idea of like the bright lights and the kids standing alone and just the 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 composition of it all. Like, yeah, this, it's a very Spielberg moment to have like this shot where you see the little kid, and and like they're framed to show that they are little kids. And something really menacing or mysterious is about to happen. I love that, like, how in these alien movies, the little kids are never scared of the aliens. It's, it's always very... the adults that are scared and the mm-hmm. children that are, like, they understand it on, like, a deeper level. It's a, very, like it's a very Spielberg thing. He, yeah. he likes to show, like, the, like, mystified effect with children over, like, the fear effect. So they're just, like... Wow. And not wow. freaked out. Like even Sorry. Go ahead. You you should finish your thought cuz it's gonna I was gonna say that even I think the poltergeist is a little bit like that and that's a horror mm-hmm. film, but I think that the kid is a little I, I I haven't seen it so I can't totally confirm, but I think that the kid's a little bit less frightened than the parents are. Sure. I was gonna say that I think one thing that unfortunately we've been conditioned to in our society today with movies is that there's always like a battle or an action part. And I feel like this movie does not have one. That's what I love about it. Kind of right. And I'm sure if that's where you started with movies, then you could appreciate it more, but that's the problem. And I know it's a problem in how I view movies 
is that we have this expectation of like how the plots should go and the different arcs that it should have and the amount of action that keep you interested and the older movies just don't have that aspect a lot of them and so it's a condition i'm trying to get rid of little by little having um seen it now you should rewatch the trailer for arrival coming out ra- later this oh. year and think about mm-hmm. how similar that movie is to close encounters not unlike a copy cat way but like Denis Villeneuve, or however you say his name, he's incredibly uh-huh. influenced by that movie. Like, it's I can see why it's so influential too. Yeah, just all of Alien type movie because they really all do follow that same sort of plot of you know aliens coming to a certain city and then kind of causing havoc in some way, and you know, right. and there's always the meetup. But. But what's great about Close Encounters is that it doesn't have to be the end of the world for it to like become a really insane situation. Like it's very natural in that sense. Yeah. And um, another great example of that, and a movie that is heavily influenced by Close Encounters, is Midnight Special. Like, Close Encounters is one of the lead inspirations for Midnight Special. But it's another movie where you see, where you start realizing the existence of other life of uh, extraterrestrials, but they're, they are not an enemy. It's about what happens because humanity learns of like an extra existence, like a new existence right. in the world. And mm-hmm. given I did see it when I was younger, so yeah, I would, probably I would do love have to a see like, a, um, I would love to see a film that kind of reverses that in regards to like a human comes to an alien world and seeing how those two would differ in regards to the reaction from a different species to seeing humans and all that. You catch my, you catch my drift? Yeah, I'm trying to think of a good example because I'm sure there's something there's something out there. Well, but I don't know. I feel like what I feel like it usually starts with humans though, and not like um a plot that just solely focuses on an alien race as the main mm-hmm. characters. Well, you know? The reason why that works better, and it, it will always be harder to do it the way that you said it, is because if you bring something into something that you understand, it's a lot more real as a viewer, and it's a lot more like emotional, where you're you're watching sure. you're watching things that you understand, like you see cars and you know what a car looks like, you know how a car runs, you're seeing uh, landmarks and monuments and the way that people are dressed, and all of it makes sense, and it's like this is what the world looks like. And then you bring a giant flying saucer into the situation, and that's what grabs you. So it's always it's always harder to do sci-fi that way, which is why you don't see it as often. Yeah. A fun thing, coming back to the 1977 comment, um, Spielberg and Lucas w- were working on their two sci-fi movies at the same time, and they were both taking bets against each other about which movie would earn more money at the box office and which movie would be more successful. And they would like, they would like riff with each other. Like Lucas was like, "Oh, your movie's so much better than mine," and Spielberg was like, Psh, "Your movie's so much better than mine." It's just, it's very funny, like com camaraderie, and it's like this, uh, it's this moment where like sci-fi was entirely different after the '70s between 2001, yeah. Close Encounters, and um, yeah. Star Wars. It's like Star everything Wars. changes. It's it's so it's true. very funny though, you know, coming from 
coming from two heavy hitters, but from two friends at the same time, you know? Yeah. It's nice to hear that, though. You know what I thought you were going to say when you said that? Here's my problem with old movies. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is the one problem with Close Encounters. The pace, it, it moves, like, slightly too slow for for a modern audience, for a contemporary audience. It's oh. sort of like, this movie should move just a little bit faster. And that's that's for sure, like, a an artifact of being a 70s film yeah i didn't i didn't pick up on pacing so much i do have a lot of respect though for just making that type of movie back in the day because i understand how much effort goes into you know filming on actual film and then putting these special effects into those yeah. films like it is incredible and i have so much respect for it and so at least i have that aspect of old movies that i um i like I like the fact that, it, you know, it took time and it took effort and they can't just, you know, go on a computer and quickly edit it. Um, mm. Not that editing today is a short thing, but it's easier. It's like, you know, they're making it because they know they know that it's going to be good. You know, they're not just trying to, like, push out these different movies because they know that when they make this type of movie back in the day that they were going to have to work really hard mm-hmm. and put a lot of effort and imagination into it and they weren't gonna you know just mess around so there's a lot of heart in these movies and a lot of um a lot of blood sweat and tears exactly basically anything that spielberg made before the 2000s like when they were making it they were like this movie's going to be really hard like just so everybody's just so everybody's prepared like they they signed up for hard maybe that yeah things that they they didn't know if they were going to be able to do whenever they started you know they were like let's we're going to figure it out when we get to the end and if we don't it's not a movie like it has to work you know and it's yeah it's really amazing one super cool thing about the the pacing with close encounters is that a few years ago somebody did a fan edit where they said this is what close encounters would look like if it was made in the 80s instead of the 70s and they cut out about 25 minutes and really they basically yeah they made it feel more like an 80s movie i haven't seen it yet but i i really do want to watch it it's just a it's hmm. it's just very interesting you know and i'm we haven't talked it about really it is. a lot on um on this podcast but i'm a huge fan of fan edits like people taking yeah uh, movies and doing their own thing with them it's a super good experiment and i think that uh Close Encounters, like, that's definitely one of the small things about Close Encounters. I don't know where I was going with that thought. That's really kind of like a, like a fizzly thought right now. I love Close Encounters, and I'm super glad that you watched it, and no one even told you to watch it. You just did it, and that's... I know. I did it all by myself. And I think as, as long as you, like, as long as you can enjoy it and, like, and, and for the parts that are not as enjoyable, you can, like, appreciate just how powerful they are i do think that you will like more older movies like that yeah i think so too we gotta try something harder with you now (laughs) i don't know if i'm ready yet you can do it well this was fun we fought a bit that's unusual well we just haven't fought a lot in like 15 episodes i think yeah it's probably been longer than that yeah probably but that's okay that's just how we roll you know it's going to happen. And by how we roll, I mean we usually don't. So I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, if anybody wants us to talk about any specific topics or, um, I guess, topics, that's actually the only word that I was going to use, you can <laughs> yep. email us or tweet at us. Our email is helloandadu at gmail.com. That's H-E-L-L-O-A-N-D-A-D-I-E-U at gmail.com. And our Twitter handle is at helloandadu. Uh, follow us. See when new episodes are posted. Share things with us. And we'll sort of uh, work with you guys for what you're looking for in the podcast. And totes, you can rate and review and subscribe to us on iTunes. Be able to uh, download it instantaneously and know when our new episodes are out every Tuesday. And you can help people find the podcast by rating it and subscribing to it. Uh, thank you, everyone who listened to me and John fight about like four different things. <laughs> Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> All right, John. All right, Mr. Mathis. Adieu. Adieu to you and you and you. You and you. Goodbye. That was beautiful. <laughs>